0: If you want, you can go ahead and open up to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16, I'll meet you there in just a second. But before we get there, I want to tell you a story. There's a, uh, this past weekend, this past week really, I I was at a conference and um, I kept telling people that these people are from all over the country and some even from the world. I met one guy from Sweden, one guy from uh, Bangladesh. Anyways, so um, I kept telling people, they say, where are you from? And I said, I'm, from, I'm originally from Arab, Alabama. And they'd kind of look at you funny. And I'd say, it's near Huntsville. And they'd go, oh, like I've heard that word before. And then I'd say, it's near Tennessee. And they'd go, oh, okay, I know where that is. <clears throat> well, just outside of Arab, there is a town called. Well, it's called Butler, but there's like 15 different Butlers in, ARA, in in Alabama. But anyways, I'll never forget in Butler there is Brewer High School. Don't ask me why. But anyways, Brewer High School, and it was probably, I think it was eighth grade maybe. We went down to play Brewer in football. And so, the first play of the game, this was, now, I played football for a lot of years, but I wasn't that great. I was kind of just mediocre. I was good enough to be on the team, but not good enough to be a starter. So, anyways, and it's eighth grade, so like everybody's on the team. Anyways, I'll never forget, I got the chance, because Brewer was kind of a, uh, they weren't going to win, let's put it that way, okay? So I got the chance to start. And I was so excited. First, first play of the game, I walked out. I had never started uh, an actual football game. When I was in Pee Wee, I started all the time. But now when, you know, eighth grade, people are starting to actually be good at the sport. And they're actually getting ready for high school and that sort of thing. And so this is the first time this year that I had actually started. And it was toward the end of the season. And so I walk out on the field for the first play. And in front of me is this little scrawny uh, offensive lineman. Who shouldn't have been playing offense. It was kind of the same situation. They knew they weren't gonna win, and so let's let some other people play. And so I decided, I'm gonna trash talk a little bit. So I looked at my best friend who was right in front. He was nose, uh, nose guard, and I was defensive tackle. And so uh, I looked at him and I said, Hey, Cody. And he said, What? And I said, I'm gonna hit this kid so hard he forgets which team he's gonna play on. And the kid's standing right there. It's before we got down in our stance and everything and the kid's eyes got like this big, because I was intimidating looking, but I was just mediocre at the sport. I could probably hit him fairly hard, but not any harder than anyone else could hit him. And so, never forget, we got down in our stance, ready, set, hut. The kid falls flat on his face, and I step once on his back, and I'm in the backfield, and I tackled the quarterback, and it was like I, I, you can now accept me. I am ready to play at Alabama. Uh, I am, now I have fulfilled my dream of football. That was really the only uh, really amazing highlight real play that I ever had. And it was because I trash talked him and intimidated him before. When realistically, if he had just stood up and let me hit him, I might have gotten past him. But I wasn't going to hit him so hard that he forgot which team he was going to play for. That is kind of, uh, well, let me tell you another story real quick before we go to our text. Um, Two years before that, I was playing, and the same thing happened to me. A big, huge, this kid was, he was big enough to play, you know, for high school already, and he got in front of me, and he intimidated me, but I stood up, and I was ready to hit him. That's when he picked me up and threw me 10 yards I landed on my arm, and I broke it. Now, that gives you a little insight into my football career. But anyways, it also gives us insight into the word we're going to look at today, which is, the word is kesil, which we'll talk about in just a second. But it's the word fool in Proverbs 18 and verse number 6. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites. Invites a beating. It's the guys whose his bark is a little, little more than his bite. If you know what I'm saying, that's the fool in Proverbs 18. But in First Kings chapter 16, um, the great and powerful Samson is along the same lines. If you don't know the story of Samson, he was given power because he is a Nazarite. He is given strength. Because from a from an early age, from really from birth, his parents had devoted him to being a Nazirite, which means he didn't eat anything with grapes in it. No no grape juice, no grape clusters, no grape cakes, which was the thing back then. He didn't eat any grapes, he didn't cut his hair. You remember the story, if you know the story of Samson, his strength was in his hair. It didn't mean that it didn't mean that, you know, it was some kind of magical thing. It was as long as he kept his vow to God, God was going to allow him to keep his physical strength. That's how it works. At least that's how it worked with the Nazarite, and that's how it worked with Samson specifically. So in 1 Kings chapter uh, 16, you have, well, verse number 1, he sets sets himself up for failure. Look at 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, pulled them up, bars and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Samson was... was he had eaten his meat and potatoes. He's strong enough to where he grabs the gate, takes the gate, bars and all, puts it on his shoulders and walks up a hill just to show his strength, show his might. You see, Samson had a problem. Samson was a little cocky for what he was doing. He's given this power, he's given this strength because of his devotion to God. But all through Samson's life, he never really, never really fulfills the devotion. He keeps his vow, doesn't cut his hair, doesn't eat grapes, but he doesn't, doesn't do anything else. By the way, I know I said First Kings like 17 times. It's Judges chapter 16. Hey, listen, there's, a, there's 31,102 verses in this book. Sometimes I know where I'm saying, I just don't know where I'm saying it from. It's Judges chapter 16, verse 1. He, he gets in a, a relationship with a woman that he should never be in a relationship with to begin with. He takes his vow and throws it away for, for a woman. But this isn't the first time he's done this. It's not the last time he'll do this. The rest of Judges chapter 16, you have Samson who gets a girlfriend named Delilah. Delilah is working with the Philistines. She wants to destroy Samson because the Philistines are the big, bad nation. A few years later, when David takes the scene, and he's, he's still a young boy, probably around the age of 20, it's the Philistines who have this giant named Goliath who they're going to meet in the Valley of Succa, and they're going to battle it out, the, the, the champion of the Philistines versus the champion of the Jews. No one will stand up. David does so, he kills Goliath, so forth. But the Philistines were military people. The Jews aren't. The Jews are a religious nation. They're a theocracy. They, they, they aren't militarily minded. They, they, they don't go on crusades to conquer new lands. They don't, all they do is really just sit at home and try to protect what they've been given by God. And so the Philistines want to destroy Jerusalem because Jerusalem is in, a, is in a really good area. If you know your Bible geography or even your modern geography, there's something that surrounds Jerusalem and the Holy Land that, uh, that isn't conducive to really anything. It's a desert. Everything around them is a desert. But Jerusalem and from Jerusalem to the, to the seacoast is good land. And the Philistines are on the sea coast. They need some more land. I mean, when, when you're backed up to a sea, you don't have a lot of real estate that you can go and to use for growing things like that. And so the Philistines throughout the Old Testament are trying to get the land. And they decide, here's what we need to do. If we're going to take the Jews, we've got to take their champion out. We've got to kill Samson. So they team up with his girlfriend Delilah. Three times, he tells them all different things. He says, uh, verse 5 through 14, he says, if they tie me with new vines, then I, I'll be so weak that I won't be able to get out of them. So she ties him up while he's asleep, and then she says, Phil-, Sam said, get up, the Philistines are coming, and he breaks out of the vines because it's a lie. Then he goes again, and she tells him, or he tells her, if they, if they tie me up with new ropes, not just vines, but they tie me up with new ropes. That doesn't work. If they weave my hair into a loom in a loom while I'm asleep, if they make my hair into a blanket, I don't know how that works. Okay, listen, I sleep pretty hard. I don't know if you could make my hair into a blanket and I wouldn't realize it. Last night I woke up at 4 a.m. because the thunder and lightning struck. I, I don't know how Samson doesn't wake up, but anyways, he doesn't. Maybe he's playing games. Maybe he knows what she's doing the whole time. But he wakes up and he gets out and the Philistines can't destroy him. He keeps joking over and over and over again because he's he's kind of arrogant about his his connection with God. A fool, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth brings about a beating. It it ushers in a beating. And so, Samson, the story goes on that Finally, Samson breaks down and he tells Delilah, here's what, here's what happens. If, if you cut my hair, I will lose my strength. Not because it's some kind of magical power, but it's because my hair is connected to my vow with God. It's as if a, a New Testament Christian, this past week, again, I, I went to this convention and I watched as Christians, Christians, like members of the body of Christ. I'm sitting there Friday night watching Ink Wars. It's a, it's a graphic design conference, and so it's a bunch of artists. And they're drawing on the bridge, the, the walking bridge downtown that goes from Phoenix City to Troy University. And so I'm sitting there at the edge, just kind of by the gate, watching Ink Wars happen so I can see the art going on. And this guy comes up to me, who I know is a member of the church. He's got something in his hand. And he realizes who it is, and so it's, it's interesting that that hand quickly went from right here to right here as soon as i said hey man how's it going oh i'm doing good how are you doing oh, what you got there no i didn't say anything it's that it's 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 the the ego that drives a christian to give up their their vow to god because they think that they're they think that they're stronger than sin or they i don't i don't know what it is but samson does that He gives up his vow. He says, Delilah, if they cut my hair, I'll lose my strength because my strength is tied to my vow with the Almighty. So he goes to sleep. She cuts his hair. Philistines come in and get him, take him. And the text says that, well, you see, no matter how strong you are, if you can't see to fight, you're not going to do very well. So they gouge out his eyes and they tie him up. Later on in Judges chapter 16, he's brought before the people. He's brought before the leaders so that they can laugh at him and mock, at, mock him. You think, you think people don't mock? You think the world doesn't mock Christians that give up their vow to God? They do. They, they may not let you see it, but they do. So they bring Samson out in front of them so that they can make fun of him, so they can poke jabs at him. You're supposed to be the the champion of Israel. You're supposed to be the strongest man who ever lived. And look, you're sitting here blind. We haven't fed you in a while. You're tied up. You can't even break the chains. Once, one time you picked up a gate and took it on top of a hill. But now you can't even break some chains. They're making fun of him. What they don't realize is the amount of time that has surpassed between, uh, that has passed between them cutting his hair and gouging out his eyes and putting him in jail and the time of this is a little bit, and so he, there's something that grows back. He's got his hair back now. And he's got a new lease on life. He understands that my vow is not something to play with. My vow is not something to toy around with or to joke about like he was doing back in the days when Delilah was trying to, to get him imprisoned by the Philistines. And so the, the story ends with Samson grabbing the two pillars. He says, can you... Can you Let me lean on the pillars. So he grabs the two pillars and he pulls down the whole house on top of himself and kills all of them. And the story goes that Samson killed more people at his death than he ever did when he was alive, which is weird because he's known for killing so many people with the jawbone of a donkey. You see, Samson had a problem. The problem was he got too big for his vow to God And he started joking around with it. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 6. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. All right, so, hey, look, there's the correct text. Anyways, this is the word for fool. Kessel, it means, or kessel. I'm going to say kessel just because I like saying it that way better. It means a fool who rejects wisdom, even though he knows better, because the end is more pleasurable than the other options. A Kessel person takes what has been given to God, he looks at it and he says, well, that's great, but I want to do this. And so he rejects what he knows is right. You see, there are some fools that just don't know any better. There are some fools who, even though they, they may know better or they should know better, they don't for one reason or another. They don't connect the two. The Kessel person looks at the truth, looks at knows what he should be doing, and says, but it looks more fun over there, and so I'm gonna do that. His mouth gets too big for his vow. So here are a couple things, some observations. Number one, lust, this is the, the problem is lust. I, I once heard a, a teacher of mine say that lust is the mental imagination of the pleasures of sin. That when we see sin. We see that it is pleasurable to some degree for some amount of time. Whether it's a physical sin or a mental sin or something else, it gives us some sort of pleasure. If it's gossiping about someone, it makes us feel better. If it's hurting someone else, it's because we're upset and we're hurting and so we we lash out at someone else and bully them or hurt them or, or do something worse than that. It gives us some sort of pleasure to some degree at some level. And so we look and we see the sin, we see that it is pleasurable to some level, and so we meditate on it we we stew on it we we think man that it's it's okay over here but that looks so great over there and that's the lust and the problem is that lust James chapter 1 says each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire his own lust then lust when it is conceived brings forth sin Sin, when it is finished or fully grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. You see, lust is not necessarily a sin, except when you put yourself in the position to lust, then you've got a big problem. Because now you have said, I know this is going to be a problem for me, but I'm stronger than my problems, and so I'm going to go to this anyways. I'm going to do this anyways. I'm going to get as close to this as possible. And the thing is, that, that sin is a lot stronger than we like to think. Sin is a lot more tempting than we like to think. You see, lust isn't inherently sinful. But it can be really quickly. And so, lust, number one, will blind you. Verse number 21 in Judges chapter 16. Sam, Samson, the, the mighty man of God, the, the, the mighty man of valor, the judge... The reason why these people are recorded in the book of Judges is because they have something that God needed. And so God uses them to help the Jews. In this case, Judges chapter 16, they are under oppression from the Philistines, and so God needs Samson. And God uses Samson's situation that he put himself in to bring the Jews out of the oppression that they put themselves in. But anyways, it will blind you. Lamentations. Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded their minds, blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Lamentations chapter 4 is speaking to Israel. He says this, The king of the earth earth did not believe, nor any inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. They weren't a military power, but every time you try to defeat Jerusalem, something happens. Every time we go against Jerusalem, some 19 or 20 year old kid walks out. He's been taking food to his brothers. He walks out and kills our champion." Every time we try to destroy Jerusalem, some guy gets on top of a mountain and holds his hands up. And as long as he holds his hands up, we d- we're destroyed. It just doesn't make sense. And so, the word got around. Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 4 verse 12. The word got around. Don't mess with Israel. Don't mess with Jerusalem. They don't have anything. They aren't warriors. But for one reason or another, it doesn't work out. But the thing is that Jerusalem allowed that to become the problem that caused them to fall. A lot of times we will allow the thing that makes us the strongest be the problem that causes us to fall. It it blinds us. Lust, Lust turns what we think is true into something that isn't. Psalm 146 verse 8 it says, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Number two, lust will bind you. Hey, that, that rhymes. It's not necessarily supposed to, but I thought I did pretty well with rhyming two words. Anyways, lust will bind you. The strongest man on earth, at least at the time, probably in all of history, is bound because he became Kessel. got too big for his shoes and he said no one can ever stop me the mouth, the lips of the fool invite a beating they walk into a fight they put us in the position, if you are Kessel it's because you put yourself in the position to fail because you think you're going to be strong enough to make it on you, you're not I promise you you're not I can tell you stories of some of the strongest men, spiritually speaking, that I have ever met or even ever heard of who put themselves in the position to get as close to sin as possible because they thought that they were going to be able to make it out on the other side, and they didn't. And they lost families, they lost ministries, they lost positions, they lost their entire lives. They lost everything that they had ever done because they thought, I'm big enough, I'm strong enough, my faith is strong enough to make it out of this sin and so I can go as close to it as I want and it's not going to tempt me. And the fact is that it will. It will tie you up and it will bind you just like Samson is bound. Number three, lust shames you. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19 (laughs) Says their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. First Corinthians, the whole book of First Corinthians is kind of about this topic. He's, he's trying to shame them so that they can fix the problems before he gets there. But there's one specific topic that comes up in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that really hits home with this. They have a brother in the church who has taken has become started a relationship with his with his stepmother. And the Christians think, well, you know, we know it's wrong, but we just want to love on him. We just want to spend time with him. We just want to encourage him. We know he's wrong. We know he's lost now. But we just we just we can't we can't kick him away from us. We can't withdraw from him. We can't tell him to go away because if we tell him to go away, what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen if they told that man to go away or withdrew fellowship from that man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that they were so scared to do? They're terrified. What happens if we do this? What happens if we kick the sin out of the camp? You know what happens? He's going to keep sinning. That, that's worst case scenario. He keeps sinning. Worst case scenario, if, if you keep him here, is that he keeps sinning, and he causes you to sin. And he talks you into it. And, he, and, he, and he, his influence, maybe he doesn't talk you into it, but his influence keeps pushing you to the point that one day you're going to never see a problem with whatever the sin is he's doing. That's the thing. It's that kessel, that foolishness, Caused the Corinthians to keep a brother in the church who didn't need to be there, who was causing them to stumble because they were puffed up. Look how great we are. We love this man, and yeah, he's sinning, but but we love him anyways. Paul says, "You know what you're doing? You're destroying the church. You're, you're tearing Christians apart from one another. You're tearing the church away from Jesus Christ." It, that. Lust and sin should shame us to the point that we, we fix it. That's the point of church discipline. It's, that it's, it's not to shame someone to make them feel bad about themselves. It's to shame someone to make them feel bad about what they've done. Not about themselves. But the problem is, we live in a culture that what you do is who you are, and that's not true. We, we, I'm, I'm blank. Oh, don't talk to him. He's a blank. And we're talking about sins here. Don't talk to him. He's an alcoholic. No, he's not. He has a problem with alcohol. Don't talk to him. He's, he's homosexual. No, he's got a problem with lust. He's got a problem with physical problems. He's, he, we, we've turned our, our sins into who we are. And so then we think that church discipline is shaming someone to make them feel bad about who they are. No, it's to shame you to feel bad about what you've done. Not about who you are. Because every single person on earth is a man or woman created in the image of God with a moral standard built into your hearts and into your minds and the ability to choose right from wrong and a a physical representation of the power and the might and the love and the majesty of God Almighty. Lust should shame us. It should make us. Well, the book of James says that we should turn our laughter into mourning, what we talked about last week. Romans chapter 5, hope does not put us to shame. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. Sin should shame us. The name of Christ should not. Number four, I think this is it. Yeah, number four, lust will kill you. Lust is not a sin in and of itself. However, if you become Kessel, if you become the person who thinks that I am stronger than my temptations without God. You see, that's the thing. Samson didn't think he was stronger than the Philistines because of God. He thought he was stronger than the Philistines because he had the patience to grow his hair out. Somebody last week, well, it was a couple of weeks ago when we went to Memphis, they looked at me and they said, you have something growing on your chin. And I said, yeah, it's my pet cat. And he said, haha, very funny. And I said, no, it's just really, it's, a, it's an exercise in patience. I'm just trying to see how long I can get it before I get so sick of it that I shave it off. And hence, uh, it's about this length. Because if it gets any longer than this, I'm going to go nuts. Um, but Samson thought that if he had the patience to grow some hair out, That meant he was somehow able to be 100% self-reliant. That's not true. And lust will do that to us. I I can get there. I can go there. I can do that. And it's not going to be sinful for me. It's not going to be tempting for me. We'll get as close to it as we possibly can. And then we act surprised when we're overcome by it. We see Christians getting close to it as they possibly can. And then we're surprised when they leave the church. The, the thing about the church is that when we see someone walking towards a cliff, we're supposed to say, hey, did you know that there's a cliff in front of you and you're about to walk off it? Lust is not sinful in and of itself, but it puts us in the position be exactly where Samson was. The problem is not everyone has the chance that Samson had. Samson had enough time that elapsed from his arrest to the time when he is brought before the king and before the princes and the, and the powers that be and to, so that they could laugh at him. He had enough time in there to where he, the problem could fix itself. That his hair could grow out he could realize what he had done. He could renew his vow to God and renew his devotion to God. And then he had the chance to fix it. The problem is, we don't necessarily have that chance. So that's why we say that First John chapter 1, we need to walk in the light as he is in the light. Because sometimes we won't have the opportunity for the time to elapse. We may not have the chance to do what we want to do now and in 20 years or 5 years or a year or 6 months or whenever fix the problem that we've made in our lives. We need to fix it immediately. Otherwise we become Kessel. If you need to become a Christian this morning, listen to me, Don't, don't walk out of this building without being baptized for the remission of your sins. Because you may think that you're strong enough to do it by yourself, But you aren't. You may think that I just need to fix some things in my life and then I'll become a Christian. You don't have the power to fix them. That, That saying just blows my mind. I need to fix some things and then I'll become a Christian. No, you become a Christian so that you can fix the things that you need to fix. You don't fix them and then become... I need to get completely sinless, then I'll have my sins washed away, but it really won't matter anyways because I'll be completely sinless. And you see the problem there? Fix it now. And that way you have the church and you have Christ and you have the Word of God to help you fix the problems that you've been putting off and saying, I just need to fix this and then I'll become a Christian. If you need to repent of sins because you are a Christian, you know you know that you've put yourself in the position and you know that you may not have the chance to fix it. But you have the chance right now. So let us know as we stand and sing.